right? And so I lost my authentic self for a period of time because I was reacting to someone's opinion of how I should be as a leader. Look, I, I'm very excited. I'm always excited whomever we speak about, but I'm excited about uh, our next guest, Melvin Lindsay. Um, you know, he's done amazing things with the Nike brand overall, but has done also an impactful, um, you know, he's been impactful, let me say, with the NFL during his time there, and now he's with 2K. So I'm very excited just overall to have a conversation with him and, and hearing his journey, um, just like everybody else. But I think he definitely has a unique um, journey as well. So looking forward to um, speaking with him. For sure. Yeah, me too. Hey, Mel. All right, awesome. man. It's working. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Mel. Honestly, it's, it's super awesome. I've seen the other um, guests you had in the podcast. I was excited to, to be asked for sure. Yeah, I, I know you've been busy. I know you've been traveling and stuff too. So we appreciate your uh, time and being able to connect with us for sure would love to kind of get a holistic overview of um, your journey from like, you know, from college to how you decided to go into the field that you're in now from Nike to, you know, the next step after that to where you are now. We'd love to hear that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm from Canton, Ohio originally. Um, And obviously, you know, big football town, but um, I love basketball and, uh, growing up, we had a lot of really good high school basketball players, uh, from my town. My cousin, Eric Snow played in the NBA. Um, his high school teammate, Mike Hawkins was a good friend of mine. Um, and ultimately they went and played D one ball, but I went to Purdue. Um, but I knew I wanted to work in sports and, uh, coming out of Purdue, I had kind of two kind of paths. I wanted to go to law school to be a sports agent. I got waitlisted at a couple of law schools, um, but I also applied uh, to some sports management and sports marketing schools. Uh, ultimately, um, I had three choices. I was a residence hall counselor, so I got some grad school um, assistantship uh, offers at a couple of different places. I ultimately chose Xavier in Cincinnati, and that happened to be where Mike Hawkins, my buddy from high school, was finishing up um, his college career. Uh, he was an undrafted free agent pickup by the Portland Trailblazers uh, back when they had, um, uh, I think, uh, I think it was um, the guard was uh, Kenny Anderson, and they had a, a couple other guard, Mitchell Butler, and um, I, the name escaping the kid from from Wake Forest, but they were all injured in preseason, so they needed some guards in camp. And so Mike was living with me in Cincinnati prior to, to moving to Portland. He had suits that he had at my house and PJ Calissimo was the coach. And Mike was going to get fined a thousand dollars a day if he didn't start wearing suits when they had their road trip. So I shipped my suit or his suits to him and I put my resume in the box and he gave it to John Christensen at the Blazers. And, you know, I got picked out of a thousand uh, applicants for an internship and that's how my, uh, sports career kind of kicked off after grad school uh, with the Blazers. So um, I was at the Blazers for about uh, a little over a year. And then um, the uh, Portland Power uh, started um, the ABL team that precursor to the WNBA. So I took a role as a director of marketing and um, client ticket services. 
did that for a year and change. Um, you know, there was some financial instability there a little bit, but an amazing organization had a great learning experience. Um, and then ultimately went to Akron to be the director of marketing um, in the athletic department there. Um, funny thing, um, that was LeBron's eighth grade or ninth grade year. He's coming into his ninth grade year. So they played their high school games at the University of Akron. So they actually uh, outsold the University of Akron at the time. We'd get 5,000 for the St. B games and we were getting about 1,000 for the Zips games. Uh, so it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and then from, from there, um, I was working uh, at the university, but at night I'd work at a place called Babbage's, which um, is a video game store. Um, I, I love playing video games. And um, this particular year, the NCAA Final Four was in um, uh, Indianapolis. And I uh, went to Indianapolis to meet a friend who had uh, been invited by the Sporting News to attend the Final Four. And I met this guy named Chris Mike who was heading up uh, the ESPN video game franchise for Konami. And we kind of hit it off. And then a week later, he contacted me to, um, you know, see if I wanted to come work in San Francisco, work on video games. So I moved from Ohio to San Francisco uh, and worked for the uh, work for Konami there for a year. Um, he actually, um, a year later, felt bad because he, he moved back to Portland. He's originally from Portland. And he introduced me to Chip Lang at EA Sports. And I interviewed for a new marketing role that they were going to have in the studio down in Tiburon, uh, in Florida, actually. The name studio is called Tiburon. And um, so he introduced me to Chip Lang. I interviewed. I got the job. And so I took the job at EA Sports, um, running Madden and college football uh, down in Florida. And then uh, from there, I was actually recruited by Nike. To, and that's how I ended up in Portland. And uh, Chris later on went on to work at Nike as well. So it was kind of came full circle. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a crazy oh, story. Yeah, it's crazy. And so, like, I appreciate you kind of like that history of like you kind of started from learning from the sports from a, a, a ticket perspective to like moving towards from tickets to brand to, you know, um, you know, almost like sponsorship, like you're branding yourself to get to where you need to be. And then, you know, being a part of Nike, um, would love to know, like from Nike during that, those times, what were the most memorable parts for you? Um, and, and you know, what could you say was probably your, um, legacy in this sense at the time? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think, you know, when I came to Nike, ultimately, um, I, I, it was crazy because uh, I had a an interview. <clears throat> I got a call and and um, the the recruiter had said, "Hey, you have to be in New York tomorrow morning for a breakfast meeting um, with Trevor Everett, um, with Jamie Martin, and uh, oh, I'm, I'm I'm blanking on who, who the third person was. And, and yeah, I'm in, in Orlando, and I'm like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't." I don't know if I can make it there in time. And they're like, oh, we already got you a flight. Like, just get to the W Union Square and be there by 7.30 a.m., right? So I was like, okay, this is going to be fast-paced for sure. So, um, you know, Cliff Torn actually hired me. But when he hired me, 
he he actually had gotten rotated to another job. So by the time uh, he landed, I had a um, well, actually Jamie hired me, but then by the time he uh, I got the role, I, I got transitioned. He got transitioned, and Cliff Torn was my boss by the time I started um, uh, at Nike. So I'd say you know my first role was uh, back then we were business unit based. So my first role was a brand role, but it was the director of footwear initiatives. Um, so I was, you know, tasked with any new innovation that um, came across to help drive brand. And the first project I worked on was free. So <clears throat> I worked on free. My role was to help take it from RSG based marketing to broad based mall accounts. Uh, you know, I was working with uh, Rosemary St. Clair and, and, and Brian O'Connor. And I can tell you the first lesson I learned was probably a month in. Um, I had a meeting. It's probably about 50 people. And what was this new thing called an IMM to me? Um, and I had to present like our integrated kind of plan. And, you know, I, I had just came from EA Sports. So, you know, I, we had a, you know, cutting edge lifestyle brand product and felt I, you know, I wouldn't say I knew everything, but I was definitely confident. And, you know, I led this meeting and, um, you know, after, you know, I thought I'd, you know, killed the meeting. I'm like, yeah, that was dope. Like, I'm awesome. I'm a Nike. And uh, at the end of the meeting, Brian O'Connor and Rosemary was like, hey, can you speak with you after? And I'm thinking that, yeah, they're going to congratulate me and be like, you're a rock star. And uh, Rosemary was like, hey, bro, uh, you don't know what you don't know. Um, you might, you might want to hit singles before you start hitting home runs, buddy. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. I was like, wow. But that stuck with me, right? Uh, I told her that probably 15 years ago or whatever. Like, uh, we we're an executive. She was like, I didn't think you were gonna last. I was like, me either. <laughs> after that, but, but um, I think you know that type, you know, that early lesson kind of helped me in my career. And then ultimately, I think the the thing that you know I'm probably most proud of was. You know, after that role, um, you know, Davide kind of, quote unquote, discovered me uh, because of Free. You know, there was a kid named Ugo Pyeong from Korea who was leading uh, Free for Global, but he wasn't getting a lot of traction because there just wasn't a lot of sharing of tools and information. And I was uh, really collaborative and was sharing and just trying to, you know, help people out. And, you know, Davide took notice and ultimately brought me over to the Asia Pacific group only after eight months of being, you know, hired. Um, and so at, at that point, um, you know, I kind of fell into an amazing position because, um, you know, Kobe was coming off a, uh, a situation where he wasn't being marketed in the U S and, um, uh, Brenda Scarborough, uh, was, uh, on leave for a little bit. And they asked me to head up basketball and sportswear, um, for Asia Pacific. So I was, and this is like 2005, 2006. So it's a runway to the Olympics. Um, I, I was able to set the basketball strategy for Kobe in Asia and then LeBron running into the Olympics. So I, you know, and then we had air force one. Uh, so I had like three huge projects and then through the course of that, um, you know, obviously I started developing a relationship with Kobe and, and Nico, and, you know, over the years, um, you know, that kind of stuck with me. And so, you know, come full circle, Kobe's 20th year playing or probably two years prior to that 
Davide had came to me. I was in uh, I was in the training group at the time, and he said, "Hey, you started the Kobe strategy um, to kind of help build the business and and, and grow him in China. Uh, he's going to be retiring, and we're you know it'll be the first athlete that has retired from the brand since Jordan, and we need to make an impact. And so I'm going to bring you back to basketball to have you lead that. So you know that was amazing because I was it was kind of able to come full circle and. Um, you know, the things that we did uh, with that campaign, um, you know, the insight he had was, you know, if you booed me 20 years, then, you know, boo me on my last year, my last game. And so we were able to build a nice creative platform that ultimately created assets that when he unfortunately passed away, um, those were the creative assets that the world used to share um, their remembrance of him. So to me, that left the last legacy because it impacted people. And the visuals we chose to, to highlight his career and him walking off the grand stage and leaving a legacy of mama mentality and inspiration to be better um, at everything you do. Uh, to see those images resurface in celebration of him, I think is probably my biggest legacy. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome work. Um, I mean, I think like within the brand, I think everybody knew that um, Kobe was really hands on. Um, the work that he was a part of more than most athletes, um, maybe with the exception of LeBron. Um, can you talk a little bit about like your working relationship and how that kind of came together around his involvement? Yeah. I mean, Kobe is the same competitive animal on the basketball court as he is in business. And so, you know, for, for a lot of people, um, you know, that they can rub the wrong way because, they're like, you're just supposed to agree with the brand plan because I said it was, was supposed to be that. <laughs> Kobe would fight, argue, cuss, tell you it sucked, tell you it was recycled, be like, you got to be better. He was like, this is shit. Um, so he put, you know, he pushed, you know, and that, that was was cool. And I think because, you know, I was, you know, I, I didn't falter or, or, or shy away from those uh strong talking tos if you will um we had a great relationship because <clears throat> there was trust there he knew i wasn't gonna just do what he said um but at the same time i, I knew i had to you know bring out the best on what i was trying to do for the team and, and ultimately to 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 get the best of what was in his head and obviously you know we weren't going to do every single thing that he suggested but you know i think the thing that was the 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 greatest about him is when he'd come to his annual meetings and reviews, a lot of times it's just, you know, show and tell for the athlete. This is what you did. This is how well you did. And, you know, there's your revenue and they're worried about their <clears throat> residuals. But Cole came to those meetings with notebooks and would just be writing and taking notes. And and then when he come back and, he, you know, he'd point to a designer or a colorist and be like, hey, in this meeting last year, you said you were going to be able to give me three different colors based on this material and this story piece. We didn't deliver that. What happened? People were like, oh, wow, he, he remembered that? And he'd be flipping through his <laughs> notebook. And he'd be like, hey, I, you know, hey, two years ago, I talked about laceless shoes. We said we were going to get to this innovation by now. Why is it in this shoe and not in my shoe? I brought this up first. I went to the kitchen. That wasn't in problem. Like, what are you doing? So, like, those are the type of things. So I think that, you know, maniacal passion and, 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 um, attention to detail that he had on the basketball court was the same way he applied to his product pieces. 
Um, and that's why initially he was really he really bought that retro business. He was like, I'm not retro. Retro is old. And that's why Pro Tro came about. He was like, we innovated every year we had a shoe. So if we want to bring back those old shoes, we're going to bring them back with current gen innovation. And that's why the Pro Tro piece, you know, started. I mean, that's what he wanted. He didn't. He, he was like, Kobe always going to stand for innovation. How can, you know, I get better? And so how can the shoes and our technology and what makes and enhances the athlete um, the most uh, be applied to, to innovation when we're looking at products. Yeah, I, I love that. I think it leads into like the conversation of leadership because Kobe was a leader and is you know and challenged you just as you were a leader to your team and and the function and the category um, to lead. And would love to know like how would you describe leadership and what was important to you within your career, even at Nike and now, like, how would you describe yeah. leadership? Yeah, I think, you know, there are obviously different types of leaders, right? There are, and, and passion coaches, there are um, fear coaches. Um, there are, um, you know, those that uh, work in the, the collaboration space in terms of, you know, kind of a team environment piece. I, I think for me, what I've learned and, and most adapted to is that, um, a leader has to inspire people to to, to be better than uh, they are, and, and the individual is. And then, in order to do that, you need to know the team and what's going to motivate and what buttons to push for the team to kind of lead to be inspiring. You know, anybody can just tell someone what to do, and I, you know, I don't believe that that's leadership. You know, when you can inspire someone to to go beyond um, what they believe is capable or think in a different way. Um, to me, you know, that's leadership. You know, uh, Jesse Stalick was one, one of my favorite leaders at Nike. And we always, you know, talked about leaders lead. And, you know, what that means is, is that, you know, the true um, notion of a group of people following you um, because they believe in your vision but also the leader having um, the skill set to enable and unlock the potential in their teammates to help for the greater good of, uh, of the team or organization or, or any individual project. And I think, you know, Jesse was one of the best at that. You know, we actually started at Nike at the same time. Um, and then, um, you know, I ended up getting a chance to work with him uh, in global football uh, you know, before I left Nike. Um, but to me, I think he's one of the, you know, great uh, leaders. And also, you know, Nicole Hubbard, um, she, she was great in, um, in that she was able to uh, take a lot of um, a lot of strategic inputs and, and then summarize them in a succinct uh, vision to, to, to rally people uh, and be able to, um, you know, move an organization. So I, you know, but that's what I think a good leader is. If you're able to rally, um, and really get people to focus, uh, and, and block out the noise to get to, uh, an end result, I think that's a, um, a great leader. Awesome. Now I'm curious, like, you know, obviously the background that you had coming into Nike, 
was based in video games, but like, you know, with sport games as a focus. Um, and then obviously since you've left Nike, you've transitioned into different roles that have really been focused around sport. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit just around like the culture in, in, in these spaces and maybe some of the differences, maybe from like EA coming into Nike and then leaving Nike just from a culture perspective that you've mm -hmm. witnessed and things that you've maybe brought from each of those different roles and stops along the way that you, you know, have kind of led you down that path? Yeah, I mean, I think when I was recruited to, to Nike, um, one of the things the recruiter had mentioned to me was that Nike's brief to the recruiter were they were looking for brands or, or individuals who had experience with lifestyle marketing, which was at the time, you know, 19 or whatever, it's 2004, the buzzword of the, of the time, um, working with, you know, youthful brands and consumers and an understanding of that. So they were recruiting people from Coke and from the video game space. <clears throat> and and so uh, culture-wise, interactive entertainment, you know, at that time, it wasn't that it was Wild Wild West, but it was kind of like the, um, it, it, the best way to put it would be like the, the renegades who uh, were having fun and making money and creating new experiences and you know the older generation if you will in quotes with couldn't understand how could people be playing these games and spending so much time and so you know that's kind of the space that you know at that time you know the, the big stat was the video games that surpassed movies in terms of entertainment and so people were you know starting to look at like what this is a viable source of entertainment and then uh and at that point, games were not even online yet. So, you know, PlayStation 2 uh, comes and Xbox comes and then it's like, it's online. It's like, whoa, this is playing games online so I can play against other people not need to be in my living room. Like, whoa. And so <clears throat> that changed the marketplace. And obviously that introduction obviously introduced us to where we are now in streaming platforms where, you know, everything is, you know, VOD or you have the customization, customization experience. <clears throat> uh, I think the culture that the video game spot, space spot <clears throat> is essentially where Nike is now, direct to consumer. And culture-wise, you know, I think when I got to Nike, it was <clears throat> super youthful and irreverent and energetic. <clears throat> and you know, obviously, that was a standard for brands for you know many many years, and, and many companies wanted to replicate that but the thing is, is that companies can't they want to do what uh nike has done but they're not set up and they don't have the 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 cultural framework to, in order to do that because it takes a lot to trend to, to really do that they might like the principles but they're not really willing uh to do those things so i think that culture is unique i think um you know if i look at the the roles that i've had over the over the years um, you know, the fast paced environment of uh, video games does rival a bit what, um, you know, Nike life is like uh, in terms of engaging with the consumer and, and being on trends and connecting um, the dots between sport, culture and life. So, um, you know, I think, you know, for, for people to understand, they've got to know who they are uh, individually to understand whether or not they can fit within a culture. Um, because, you know, one individual can't necessarily overturn or change a culture. So you have to really know that, you know, 
uh, you know, your style or your leadership or, or how you operate can fit within that existing culture. Yeah. yeah. And I think, like you said, like culture, like it, it, it's, you got to know the culture. And I feel like the consumers today know the culture and would love to know, like, um, with COVID, did you, have you seen a huge increase obviously with, with, with the brand of 2k <clears throat> and, and the consumer interaction? Yes, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, from a, you know, numbers perspective, it, it's, it, it's proven out just like during COVID that obviously people are home. So they're looking for engaging experiences to spend their time. And we've seen significant increases in time spent playing and various uh, features within our game, um, you know, spending VC uh, coin to, you know, upgrade uh, experiences and, and, and whether it's, you know, my team or my player or, or you know, looking to uh, buy swag for their, you know, their character so that they can come to the courts freshly dipped. Um, but uh, I, I'd say in the time of COVID, what consumers are, are um, confident and assured. I mean, they, they're spending with brands that they know have long-term value and it's not necessarily fleeting purchases. So you really have to have um, a deep and authentic connection uh, with the consumers um, because um, there's so much uh, advertising noise, if you will, um, that can be discounted uh, and pushed away. So you really have to be um, trusted uh, in order to earn the, um, the connection of consumers, I think, now, even more than before. And, and kind of with a follow-up question with that trend going, like how are you guys trying to be kind of like innovative and creative now since you have that kind of attention with, with yeah. these new consumers and even current and old consumers? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one, um, you, you got to be, you know, authentic and and respected within the community um, that you've built over the years. Um, and, you know, innovation is still key. So, you know, consumers who are spending, you know, $70 for a game or $60 for a game, and then upwards of $300 or $400 over the lifespan of the game, um, they, they want a, a great value proposition. And so if you don't have a story narrative that resonates, then that time spent in engagement is not going to come to fruition. So, um, you know, you have to think of what is the narrative for this product cycle and how is it going to connect with consumers and how are you going to keep them engaged in an authentic uh, and trustworthy way? Mel, you know, obviously within your role, um, you're exploring these opportunities for marketing in all these different ways. And, um, you know, with, with 2K, you know, what was it, 2K20, there was this uh, relationship with LeBron and Maverick and Spring Hill. Yeah. Um, and I, and that may have predated or started before you came on board, but, um, that's obviously a huge opportunity for LeBron and math, but also for Nike and the yeah. amount of Nike product that's in this game. And so like yeah. a huge, is a huge part of your role, just those types of relationships and those, um, marketing opportunities for brands as well. Can you speak a little bit just about like how that's been working? Yeah. I think the first thing is that obviously the, the game is an NBA licensed game, right? And so anytime you have an NBA licensed game, you've got, 
the NBA license partners at um, you know, your beck and call, if you will. And so <clears throat> I think, you know, we have a, a licensing and partnership team and Greg Brownstein um, on our team it, it, who leads our partnerships that, you know, touch brands like Nike or, um, you know, the, the lifestyle brands that, that we have, like, um, you know, Tempe Shimmy or whoever, uh, those are cultural connectors and those are, those replicate what, um, the consumer is living day to day. And so, you know, there is no in real life or in the virtual life. It's just life. And so if I'm experiencing the game, I want the game to reflect who I am as a, as a person. And so I think LeBron and Mavs connection to that specifically to your, you know, 2K20 piece was um, they have proven that they are cultural connectors and great storytellers. Um, and um, they have a great voice and they understand how to bring out um, the narratives that are interesting um, to consumers in this space. And so I think the team, you know, it did predate me, but the team, you know, reached out to, to that group because they, you know, they have proven um, that, uh, that, you know, he is a great storyteller um, and they do have uh, a vision to be able to bring together a narrative that uh, people will understand and be excited and want to be connected to. That's awesome. I'll kind of go back a little bit, Mel, um, on kind of the leadership kind of question again. Um, yep. Could you describe like how you uh, defeat, I won't say defeat, but like how you find a solution for certain challenges that you've gone through um, from maybe a project to decision making to, I guess the overall question is, is how do you, how do you handle the challenges that um, you, you deal with daily? I think in the roles that I've been in, whether I had a team uh, you know, under me or around me, you know, people look to leaders to um, not be shaken and trying to be um, calm when all chaos uh, is around you. You know, role as a leader is to help steady the ship, um, deflect the noise and get us to a destination. And so <clears throat> I've tried to be, you know, calm uh, in, in my leadership. And one of the things that I've, you know, coined is in order to get there, you've got to have those healthy debates and those discussions, um, you know, those uh, cuss and discuss sessions around the table. Because um, the worst thing you could have happen is to try and resolve an issue, um, be in a room, not that not happen. And then in the hallways, it gets, um, it, it fizzles out because people don't agree or are not aligned. So that's why I started saying, hey, this is going to be a cuts and discuss session. Basically, it looks like we're not leaving this damn room until we get some resolution. Um, you know, we'll be, uh, you know, very um, uh, forward, but we're, we're not going to be disrespectful. Um, and we're going to get to some resolution. So that was one of my approaches, kind of, uh, you know, forward and truthful, um, but ultimately re re resolution oriented. Yeah, I'm gonna have to use that your term now, cuss and discuss, because I like cuss and discuss. I like that. <laughs> so. No doubt, no doubt. No, I'm glad you brought that up, Mel, because I can remember being in a ton of meetings with you where there's just a lot of talk for like 45 minutes, and at the end of the meeting, I think you would basically kind of 
raise, you know, put out there. It's like, Hey, what are we doing? What's what, what do we, you know, how are we moving this forward? We haven't made any decisions here. And I think you would find a way of holding people accountable, you know, and, and yeah, getting yeah. people to kind of come to consensus. And, you know, at, at Nike, there's a lot of voices in the room and that can sometimes be challenging. I mean, what was your experience like just in terms of you in your individual role and how you found those opportunities for growth at Nike? And then maybe as like kind of a follow-up to that, like what ultimately led you to decide that maybe it was time for you to like look for another experience outside of Nike? What was, what kind of prompted that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, it was, you know, obviously tremendous amount of talented people at Nike. That's why it's, you know, a great brand, you know, competitive, you know, competitive people in competitive environments. And, you know, for me, while there were, to your point, there were a lot of voices in the room. A lot of the voice was, was didn't necessarily wasn't necessarily the right voice. <clears throat> and one of the things that um, uh, I learned, oh, I'm gonna blank on who said it. I'll, someone told me once, know who you are uh, when you come into the room, and, and that was just perspective. Like, okay, we know whatever situation you're coming into. Sometimes you're coming in to be peacekeeper. Sometimes you're coming in to be a leader. Sometimes you're coming in to be an agitator. But in those scenarios, and depending upon who's in the room, who are you in the room? And so uh, I just took that approach and tried to be even killed in that whichever role I had to play in the meeting. Um, but, you know, that helped guide the, the process, you know, overall, because you know, people come to meetings with their own agendas and ultimately we need to uh, move forward. And so I, I would try to, okay, who's going to be in this meeting and what, what is their result? What are they trying to get after? And if you could come to common ground between all those stakeholders in the room, then you're going to be able to move, move forward. And so they're feeling like they've accomplished what their agenda item in terms of like, what they want to get done and then ultimately you're moving the project forward as well because they're they're invested in doing that because they feel like their individual quote-unquote agenda is being handled i think that's where custom disgust come into play right (laughs) exactly exactly Um, like i know you probably get hit up all the time by this young you know generations that's coming up and comers for brands trying to like get some advice and so forth. Um, what could you give, like what kind of advice could you give these, um, the, the, the consumers who are looking to get into the field, not just in sport, but maybe in tech like video games or a brand like Nike. Um, Cause you know, I think they're always earning to just know more and learn more and how to get their feet into the door. And, and I think everybody has a unique experience and would love to see what kind of advice you could give uh, to the to the listeners. Yeah, I think the, I mean you still need to make connections and then and come to the table with unique experiences. You know, I, I actually excuse me spoke to Notre Dame a few Notre Dame um, uh, business students and some other cross section students a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> and the thing that I was telling was like when they take that first job, don't look at the title. Um, what is the roles and responsibility? Like, what are you going to learn from that? And so the, the key is, you know, trying to harness each opportunity and learn 
and get experiences from that so you can build, you know, for lack of a better word, your individual brand of um, who you are uh, as a marketing leader and what, what what's in your toolkit. <clears throat> so the advice I give is, is get valuable experience that can diversify you. <clears throat> you have to be a critical thinker. You have to be strategic, but like what, what's unique and what can you bring to the table? And so you start that by having diverse opportunities. So, you know, not necessarily, you know, doing one thing, but stretching and challenging yourself to learn, um, to be multifaceted if you're going to be an integrated kind of 360 leader. Awesome. You know, Mel, obviously you have kids. Um, and so, you know, obviously you're able to like impart this advice to your kids and, um, I'm imagining that staying in tune with everything that's going on in their lives is helping you in your day to day, right? With just kind of understanding the consumer and how much a part of that day to day is just like really just, again, staying um, in touch with like what your kids are into, what the consumer is responding to. And, and you know, obviously that was a huge part of Nike's um, ethos. Um, how much of it is a part of your day to day at 2K? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my kids were spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> and there were, <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, there'd be times when I think some creative was super awesome. And I show, particularly my, my son, Max, my younger son, he's, he is uh, a ornery, uh, wisecracking, uh, quiet kid. And, uh, and I would show him something and he'd be like, that sucks. He was like, that's terrible. <laughs> He was like, we, we don't care about that. Like, really? Like, I remember we had an ad, and in the ad, and I'm not shitting on an ad because creatively it was, it was, it was super interesting. But it just shows you that you know a lot of times, you know, you don't know what the consumer at the young age is really thinking through. And the spot um, actually had a visual of what was a answer machine. And he's watching it, and he's like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> I was like, "What do you?" I was like, "What do you? What do you mean?" He's like, "What is that black box?" I'm like, "Oh, that!" I'm like, "That's an answer machine." He's like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> oh my god!" Like all they've ever known is voicemail, <laughs> so like he wouldn't know what an answer machine is. But yet we're sharing this. I was like, "Okay, you're 100 percent right, Max." Um, <clears throat> so there have been times when I've leaned on them just for a gut check when I, you know, to look at stuff, but obviously they don't represent, you know, you know, everything, but they're honest. I think that's the biggest thing is that, um, you know, there can be times when, you know, you feel like you're on target with things, but um, they definitely were going to be honest. Um, and so I definitely use them, you know, a few times on litmus tests. Um, and, you know, when it was great, they let me know and it was bad. They were like, that's, you need to go back to the drawing board on that one, buddy. <laughs> yeah. oh man yeah. uh, <laughs> hey mel like so if you can give your your like throughout where you are today if you could get, go back and, and give yourself um advice to yourself like what to your younger self what advice would you take or give and then you know are you are you following it through you think now yeah, I would say I would say understand who your true authentic self is and who you want to be in the corporate space. I I'll give you an example, like you know, when, and I was starting to you know, quote unquote, climb or or whatever. 
uh, at Nike and I had gotten a review and they're like, Hey, you know, you're amazing at, at strategy. You're, you, you seem to be great at bringing people together. You're super fun, but we don't know how, how much of a executive corporate leader you are. You're, you're, you're kind of, um, loosey goosey or we, you know, we don't know if you have that profile that we can really have as an exec level leader. I'm like, okay, you know, so, all right. So I adjust and, you know, I, I formalize more things. I'm, you know, I change a little bit how I'm dressing. Uh, I'm a little more strict and uh, how I'm uh, holding meetings. I'm not joking as much. And then I have a review again. They're like, what happened to the charisma? What happened to the, to, to the charm? Where, where'd that go? I'm like, you just told me a year ago, I need to be corporate structured guy, button up shirt, tighten the profile up. But now you're saying you want the charisma, which one you want, you know? And, and, and I can tell you that like, I wasn't comfortable in the latter one that I had thought that was the approach. And so at the end of the day, it was, you know, all, it was opinion. Right. And so I lost my authentic self for a period of time because I was, reacting to someone's opinion of how I should be as a leader. So you got to understand who you are, what your strengths are. Um, one of the things Jesse always, Jesse Stalick always would say, like Melvin, figure out what your superpower is. If you know what your superpower is and Martin, use that because you're, you know, your superpower is going to be better than, you know, 95% of the other people here at Nike. So do that. And then, you know, even when you're at your mediocre, you're still going to be, you know, better than the rest of some of these brand leaders because we've seen, you know, how, what you've done and how you operate. So once I was like, OK, what's my superpower? How am I able to to bring this together and do this and think about this and challenge this? Then then that's where I was cool in my space. And I didn't have a, a profile of, you know, what someone thought I should be. And that led me to at that point where I was like, okay, um, it's time for me to, you know, if I'm on this VP train and uh, it hasn't happened yet, when do I need to separate myself and my brand from what I've built at Nike? And that's ultimately why I, I chose um, to leave and took the VP role at the NFL because I was like, you know, I could stay at Nike and continue to chase that, but maybe it's time for me to to take what I've learned and, 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 and move it. You know, I was only at the NFL for a year because another thing I realized like, Hey, what is my uh, true authentic self and where am I in that space? And, you know, I had a goal to, to get the VP, which is amazing. Um, but ultimately for me, it was a better family situation to be back out West. And, you know, I had a, a grad school friend. I tell you that Xavier connection is, is worked wonders for me. Um, guy I went to grad school with at Xavier, Alfie Brody, uh, he's at 2K and he had for, you know, years always chipped at me like, hey, let's work together. Let's work together. And, uh, you know, that that ultimately came to fruition. You know, I think the one thing that COVID has done for many people, whether it's professionally or personally, is it has you evaluate um, like what's important uh, and, you know, how am I going to live my life and my work life and be the most authentic version of myself? Uh, and ultimately I decided to make a switch because I'm able to do that. I felt like I was getting back to the, um, you know, someone as a leader who I wasn't because of the culture of the, 
the position I was at and the place I was at. And so I think the lesson I had learned before I, I learned, I realized quickly, I was like, oh, I'm falling back into this. Yeah. Yeah. So just to like, if I can read between the lines, when you were at Nike, you got to a point where you're like, no, I'm going to be myself. Um, and then it just wasn't leading to that next step that you had probably been kind of like promised, you know, hey, this is going to happen for you. And then so you left, you went to the NFL and like it felt like what they were looking for was that inauthentic version of you again. A, a little bit. I mean, I, again, I, you know, I got a VP offer, you know, for one of the brand to, to work at Converse prior to Jesse, um, you know, going. But I, I didn't ultimately I decided not to to take that role. And there were some other opportunities and then there were some other communication like, hey, you know, we only got six global VP roles. So, you know, you kind of got to wait and you're on the on ramp. And I, it, for me, it was just like I, I didn't want to wait for Nike to determine my career set. And, and, and also I was at a place where a good transition, meaning, you know, my you know, when I when I, I, I was an expat in Taiwan and my sons were 10 and 8. And, you know, they hated me for the first year that they moved there. Um, you know, like, why do we, you know, why are we here? <clears throat> you know, we don't speak, you know, Mandarin and this sucks. And but now, you know, you know, Braden's actually a, a huge anime fan. My oldest boy, uh, you know, he's he just texted me yesterday and was like, hey, I'm trying to hook up these internships in Tokyo. I connected him with Kubo Tech. He used to work in the Japan office. Uh, which is which is super crazy, but like <clears throat> I was in a good transition, and so I actually when I was leaving, uh, or was coming up on my second year in Taiwan, I had the opportunity to to go to China, but that would have been like a five year commitment. Early on, I saw that my boys, you know, might have shown it's traditional American dad. They look like they're really talented, and so I'm like, if they're in China, I'm not sure that their sports dreams are going to come true. So I ultimately came back. And then, you know, work my career up until that point. So when I left to go to the NFL, my oldest son um, was uh, figuring out where he's going to college. He's playing football at Notre Dame now. And then my younger son was coming into his junior, his senior year. So it was a good place to kind of like open up the arsenal and take a look around because everybody was in transition. I mean, the kids were solid. You know, they had made, they're getting ready to make college choices. So I was able to break free if I didn't want to stay and try and ride the way, um, you know, at Nike. And ultimately I said, this was a good time to, to make the change. Yeah. I think you said it best is, is, is throughout this whole conversation is, is authenticity and finding yourself and, and finding what your strengths are. And I think just hearing that story of, of kind of moving forward, seeing what else is out there to, you know, being with the NFL and understanding, Hey, I want to, there's something more there. And, and I've have, I have all these opportunities out here, but at the end of the day, what's best for me and my family and so forth. And what's important to me, um, you know, is now why you're, you're with an amazing brand like 2k. So yeah. amazing story, man. Really appreciate your time. Awesome. Again, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's been, it's been awesome to hear all the other, uh, leaders that you've had on. So I appreciate, you know, you including me. Oh yeah. hundred percent. There is no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks Thank so you, much, Mel. Melvin. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks guys. All right. Talk to you. Bye. Bye.